When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. There are, there's a flow cycle. This is a map of the experience. If you know where you are in the cycle, you know where to go next. And there are triggers, 22 triggers. So if you can understand how the triggers work and you can understand the map of the cycle, you cannot, it's not a guaranteed, but you can make it reliable and repeatable. What's up, guys? We are back. It's been a minute since we've seen y'all. What is this, episode 70, 40, 36? Justin, do you know? 48. 48. 48. We have a super special guest. You are reviving our podcast after a hiatus. We, we took it off air for a few weeks. This is Stephen Kotler, who we were put in touch with via a friend. Yep. And I was first familiar with you from your book. Actually, I didn't realize you'd written it. Abundance and, and Bold, actually. And then Stealing Fire, which is the one that I'm most interested in. So thank you so much for, for coming to hang out with us. What a pleasure to be yeah. with you guys. How, how do you introduce yourself? Because I was thinking for this <laughs> intro, I was like, oh, yeah, this is Stephen. He is a psychonaut, a scientist. He does futurism. Like, how do you intro yourself? How long do I got? Let's do your, like, you're meeting people at a party. They want to know. Yeah. Oh, I'm an author. I'm a journalist. And I'm the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. Got it. So you lead with flow. I lead. uh, Yeah, that's what I, and, you know, if it goes one step further, most of what I've written about, studied, whatever, is those moments in time when the impossible becomes possible Mm -hmm. and why how does that happen right history is littered with the impossible yeah we see it all the time but how does it happen um that's what i studied so that's if i take it out another step i go there because i think that's useful i could list a whole bunch of other stuff that wouldn't mean anything i feel like the flow is what people would jump on at a party they're like tell me more about that i don't i need to go surfing more often (laughs) (laughs) so what are you most excited i started reading your your newest book the future is faster and uh, very quickly, I was like, there's too much. I can't even, I can't <laughs> grasp all of this. And some of these technologies even make some of these amazing technologies seem moot. Like you talked about the haptic suit avatar, almost putting the transportation stuff to the side. Because it's like, why go anywhere on the Hyperloop when you can just sit in your haptic well, suit? Well, you, you know why that's not going to work. I well, mean, tell you, me. You I will, of course you do. Because you, 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 I mean... You have a career that's built upon this idea that we are social creatures Mm -hmm. who need to connect, Mm -hmm. right? That doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. I think 
the transportation change that's coming, Hyperloop, autonomous cars, flying cars, even Elon Musk, crazy rockets to anywhere, right? New York to Shanghai in 39 minutes yep. before 2030, if his timeline is accurate. Um, they shift really fundamental things, right? Like, what's this? How If you can go Las Vegas to Los Angeles in 25 minutes, how big is the local dating pool? Mm-hmm. How big is the size of the local, right? How big ben, is this? Ben just perked up. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay. How big I'm is the size of the local LA, school so. district, right? Yeah. Like, where do you live? Where can you work? And there's negatives there, too, because one of the things that really protects the environment is cities. Cities are really great for the environment because we leave untracked, contiguous wildlands untouched, and suddenly mm-hmm. flying cars opens up. We can live places we've never been able to live before. So really kind of foundational shifts all over the place in that. And I, I, I'm spinning in circles because I can't remember what your original question yeah, so, was. Wait, can I ask a Go ahead, hop in. So you, you mentioned that uh, travel will always be important because the social oh, yeah, yeah. of people. It's, but I think you were the one who was talking about when uh, you put on a VR headset and all of a sudden, it is so real that the person yeah. is in front of you that you can't convince your brain it's just an image. It is an interesting question, right? The, the question is, can VR mm-hmm. fulfill us completely socially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, that has been the failed promise of technology. Like if there's any broken promise of technology, it's we're going to connect us together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like, clearly, well, missed you missed on that one. You don't think Instagram's right? doing that? <laughs> well, I always say, like, this is a little off topic, but um, I think it's pertinent in that I came up, and we were talking about this a second ago, um, I was a journalist and I covered the drug war. And I covered all sides of it. And in the in one of the communities that was advocating for legalization for years, whether it's marijuana or, or other things, there was a huge concern of, oh, my God, we're going to lose a generation, right? Like, it'll normalize. People will learn to live with it. It'll be mm. fine. But the first generation you unleash this upon, whatever the substance is, we're going to have massive problems. And it turns out with marijuana, like, we were so well prepared and we took so long to do it. And we made it basically so quasi-legal before we made mm-hmm. it right, like – it was it was really well done, and those problems didn't occur. You know where we did those problems absolutely occurred Smartphone, with our technology. Baby. Yeah, our, I mean, like we we dropped that shit on the general public. We were like, no, 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 just reach out and touch someone, and it'll be you'll be fine. Yeah, right. Like yeah. nobody saw that coming, and we really did sort of sacrifice a generation. And you're still it's dopamine. It's a it's a sub it's a substance of abuse in a sense. You know, it's a foundation. Yeah, yeah, that's so fascinating. Yeah, because they're taking their sweet time with psychedelics, which I know is something you studied, like. The proof is out oh, you, there. It's I mean, so good you, for PTSD, anxiety, but it won't be there for years. But TikTok, that gets to launch immediately. And all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, it's no, just it's like, who knows it, the effects? It, it, oh, cool. It's amazing. Because I, I, I remember, like, I've been very Rick Doblin, who runs the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Research. And one of the primary reasons psychedelics has gotten as far as it's gotten. Cause, and Rick was always really calm about it. He's like, you know, the 60s was about, like, tune in, turn on, drop out. He's like, I'm, I want tune in, turn on, go to a bake sale. Like, that's <laughs> that's my goal. Like, I, you know, I really want to normalize this stuff and make it every day. But I've known Rick since 1993, Right. Like and at that point, we would say things like, wow, they're like everything we're still trying to learn was already proved in the 60s. Mm-hmm. There are a mm-hmm. thousand different psychedelic experiments conducted back then. Um, we have so much data. And it's only I really think like in Stealing Fire, we wrote about Robin Card Harris's work, the brain imaging work mm-hmm. on psychedelics. I really think that's some of the only the first sort of 
really new work that we've seen. Everything else, like Roland Griffith, like people I love and respect and great work, but they were really reproving stuff we learned we in knew. the 60s because we didn't we don't trust the hippies and we, they, they didn't have double blind modern research standards and some of the stuff and there were good reasons to do it but we haven't like now is the very first time we're like oh this is new we didn't know that yeah. before mm-hmm. right. and we're all over the place here but we'll get we'll get back to everything but you talk about how psychedelics have been pushed down by the powers that be mm-hmm. over the course of history in the 60s is, is a great example reefer madness comes in they shut down the lsd research in a lot of these laboratories why is that not going to happen again the 2020s 2030s I'm not. I don't. So I still like the psychedelic renaissance that's now going on and the way people are using these substances is just as, if you want to call it, reckless as we saw in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I, I'm of a, like people want to run around. They want to call it plant medicine. They want like, yeah, fancy yeah, yeah. Me. You're doing drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, you're doing drugs. I've got no problem with people doing drugs, right? Every now and again, if you want to radically alter your consciousness with a substance, booze, THC, acid, I like, that's fine. Shake the snow globe, take a vacation, have fun. I got no problem with that. But gussing it up with meaning and all kinds of stuff that, like, it's just as reckless as, as, as what came before. It's going to have the very same results. What I don't think is going to go away, because what is really rigorous this time is you can't marginalize the compounds. Mm-hmm. You say, wow, they, they, they can go wrong. They can be used ineffectively. They can be used recklessly. Um, and I, you know, again, I, like, I think it's individual choice. You want to do this stuff recklessly? Mm-hmm. The last time I, went, I did acid, it was a while ago, but I went skiing. And I ski fast. So like 50 miles an hour on acid, you know, through, like you're avoiding trees that aren't even there. You know, it's funny. I was about to ask what recklessly meant, but now that's I what it. I mean. Okay. Like, I mean, no, I mean, like it was totally, absolutely, completely right. Yeah. There was yeah. nothing like sacred or whatever. Like sure. I had been working nonstop for a really long time and could not get a vacation. And so like it was an enforced vacation. You had the forced vacation of the actual drug trip. And the next day you feel so crappy. You can't work. So mm-hmm. it was like, a, it was, a, and I think there's real value in, in that. Um, and these are not, I don't, that may be the last time I did a substance. Got it. Um, right. And that was a good two, three years ago at this point. That sort of aside, the medical side of this as a treatment for trauma, as a treatment for depression, as a treatment for some of the very intractable conditions. I think we're going to end up finding that flow. I, the, the point is that a lot of stuff that we can't seem to fix, the reason is is because you need to change states. That's mm-hmm. how you do it. That's mm-hmm. how the system is designed to fix it. That's how the biology works. So you can't fight the biology, obviously. Um, and what we're learning now, like the, that stuff isn't going to go away. Um, there, I don't think the reckless behavior is going to, you know what I, <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. derail it for good anymore because holy crap, depression is massively widespread it is a huge scourge on society it costs us billions and billions and billions of dollars each year not to say nothing of the suffering quotient and wow substances like ketamine and mdma and psilocybin are having nearly miraculous effects in some of these intractable conditions ocd being treated by magic mushrooms you know Mm -hmm. take your pick there's a lot of these things um there's going to come a point, by the way, 10, 15, 20 years from now when we figured out the neuropharmacology and exactly what's changing in, in the brain during state change, right? There's going to be... And there's other ways There's in. going to be other ways in and things like that. 
and you can get the, all the same, I think, better results through flow, but you, it doesn't happen as quickly, right? Yeah. It, it's, even if you look at the uh, PTSD work that we talked about in Stealing Fire, where they used um, one to two psychedelic sessions could significantly reduce symptoms of PTSD or cure it. Um, they compared it to meditation and flow, and it was with surfing is what they used. This was done at Camp Pendleton with soldiers with PTSD, and they put over a thousand soldiers through it. Out on the water. Out on the water, right? And it was five weeks. I think they were surfing twice a week, and it was followed by group therapy of surfing to produce flow, followed by talk therapy. Essentially the same protocol they were using with MDMA, mm -hmm. but um, surfing instead of the psychedelic took five weeks. Meditation took about four weeks, but the results weren't quite as good. Um, so we've, the comparisons are happening, and they're there. Did, did surfing do as well as psychedelics? It did exactly as well as wow. psychedelics. Um, it just took longer. Yeah, that's It took that's five crazy. weeks. Um, I will also tell you, I think over time, surfing is going to be the more sustainable practice. Yeah, right? yeah. Because, I mean, I've, I've had uh, plant medicine, drug, we call them what you want, <laughs> psychedelic experiences. And they're incredibly profound, obviously, in the moment. And then there's a, a very quick half-life where, where it, you're going, I'm trying to capture as trying much to, of this as I can. Let me ask you a question. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Absolutely. But you, you just got at something great because I want to ask you. This is what I said to somebody yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I'm always cautious. I always say personality doesn't scale. Biology scales. So if it just works, for, if, I, if it's my experience, I'm always suspicious of, mm -hmm. right? That said, um, I've done a lot of psychedelics over the years. And it has... I've have insights. I've learned in things about the universe that may or may not be true. <laughs> has it has one of those experiences altered my performance on a day to day practical tactical? Right, I'm a really practical tactical person, and that's what we focus on at the Flow Research Collective. So, I've never made any day to day life changes. This is how I live oh. my life. These are my routines. This is how I do my work. Like none of that has ever come out of psychedelics for me. I'm unwilling to say. I mean, I'm sure other people have. That's not been my experience. Hmm. I wonder. So, what what are your were the experiences you had? I feel like part of what makes a psychedelic and any sort of treatment work is the container in which it was in. So, I've I meaning that it's sacred in the the setup that you have an intention that you go in with. There's a talking circle afterwards, and then uh, on my part, a concerted effort to integrate the things that you saw. So you had a profound experience of love. What does this mean for my relationship with my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my friends? So that I don't, I, I can't say that it was just the substance, but for me, oh, my my life is transformed completely. Uh, no basic level i have a dog now that i w went out and said i need to learn how to love more deeply and i Look, need to have a you creature know my to... <laughs> wife and i have been running a dog sanctuary for ever. really oh yeah we that's do hospice amazing. care and special needs care for oh, dogs that's, that's so so for me it, one of the things that i took and we don't need to talk too much about my personal experience because as you said you know does it work for the most people is more important than what happens to the individual but it pointed out that I uh, was very individualistic, you know, getting ahead myself, forming contracts and agreements with friends and business partners in order to mutually grow. But there was very little unconditional love. So when your dog craps on your carpet <laughs> and throws up everywhere, how does your relationship change? And for me at first, it was very conditional, which is like, now I love you less. You pooped on my carpet. And he's been a very good trainer of, I don't love you less. I clean up the poop. I try to chastise, reprimand you so you don't do it again. But the flow of love is not contractual or contingent. So that for me has been uh, and something that I'm learning to apply in other areas of life. But I think it has it has been valuable and to say for every individual, you know. And I, you've, you've only done psychedelics in the realm of 
I've never gone to a concert. I've never gone skiing. So I, 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 don't, I don't know if you've done <laughs> I did, By the way, I always tell people, you know, there's a, if I was training people in the shit that worked for me, yeah. right? Mostly I'd be teaching you how to use ski at 50 miles an hour. We're listening to hip hop at top volume. Is that it? Right? Like, that's what I'd so, be yeah, teaching So, yeah, what's your people. preferred flow state for, I, for I, change? I, so. Also, what's your shortest definition of flow for people who have never let, heard yeah, the word let, Yeah, let's, let's, let's walk <laughs> in. Because we've said it a bunch. Let, let's walk in a, a bunch of ways. So flow is scientifically defined as an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. And there's tons of synonyms. Runner's high, being in the zone, being unconscious, the forever box. Stand-up columnists call it the forever box. Ah, um, I like that. So there's the, the lingo is literally endless. Um, and more specifically, it's just those moments of rapt attention, total absorption. You get so focused on the task at hand and what you're doing, everything else just disappears. Mm-hmm. Right? I could say it more formally and say your sense of self and self-consciousness vanish. Time dilates, which is a fancy way of saying it passes strangely. Yeah. It'll slow down. You've got a freeze frame effect or it'll speed up and five hours go by in like five minutes. And throughout all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. And... Um, so that was where we started. That's what flow is in mm-hmm. your question. Here's what, so um, this is something that we believe is true. We have a lot of uh, data to be true, but there has not been enough science. And I can't say for sure this is true, but this is something that, that we think is true. Um, and we've been using it with people and training them, talking about this for a while. So what I think is true is most people have a primary flow category and a secondary flow activity. I'm not saying that you can't get flow elsewhere, but for me, I will get the most flow while skiing. Okay. 90% of the time when I go skiing, I'm going to get into flow. Writing is my secondary, act, right? And 75% of the time when I sit down to write, I'll get into flow. Most people are like that. I, it is very... In that they have a primary a and primary a secondary. secondary. Not um, that it's skiing and Right, no, no, no. <laughs> and usually, like, your primary is usually that thing that you did as a kid-ish yep. and stopped doing. I was a singer. I was a dancer. I did jigsaw puzzles. I studied dinosaurs. Whatever it is, that's usually, right, that's often the primary flow activity. And so the first thing to know about flow is it's essentially a focusing skill and we can talk about why that is but it's a particular kind of focus and like any other thing that changes the brain there's neuroplasticity involved so essentially the more flow you get the more flow you get so if you want more flow at work one of the best things you could do is start spending an afternoon a week doing your primary flow activity if your primary flow activity was Mm. tap dancing Mm -hmm. and couple of things so flow is a massive amplification and i can put numbers around it if you want but we know for example creativity can accelerate 400 to 700 percent it's a huge spike in creativity and there's neurobiological reasons why and we can talk about that if you're curious but Teresa mobley at harvard figured out that that heightened state of creativity will outlast flow flow is like a 90 minute two hour experience most of the time it can vary but that's average um that heightened creativity will last a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So you can spend lunchtime surfing, get into flow, come back to work, and that heightened creativity is going to be with you the rest of the day and tomorrow. Bonus, you're also training your brain to get into flow better. So the next time you go surfing or the next time you try to get into flow at work, the brain gets there a little easier because you're grooving pathways through the brain, mm-hmm. and it's this, they're the same pathways. So... I don't know if that answered yeah, your yeah. question exactly, but like if you're looking for, oh, I want more flow in my life, where do I start? One place you can start is, honest to God, figure out what used to 
make you feel this way. Do more of that and don't feel guilty. Don't feel right. Like a lot of people who are interested in peak performance, a lot of people who are listening to your podcast want that. They don't don't relax easily. Mm -hmm. Hard to take an hour or two to do something like tap dancing or Mm -hmm. right surfing or whatever. If you're very success focused and career mind and all that stuff, because you don't think that's going to help me be better and the truth of the matter is no it really will is there obviously it's individual but do you find what is it the flow research center do you find that there are reliable like writings the way in for many people or oh so yeah let me like what is there a big category that stands out yeah no let me let me yes let let me just walk you in because uh Mm. you'll like it so this is uh this is not just our work that we've been very involved in this this is work that goes back to me high chicks me high sort of the godfather of flow psychology yep. a lot of other people have worked on it so what we now know are that flow states have triggers these are preconditions that lead to more flow and the easiest way to think about this is flow follows focus it can only happen when all of our attention is in the right here right now so there are 22 known flow triggers there are probably way more but there are 22 we know of and they all do the same thing they all drive attention into the present moment and they do this in one of three ways they either drive norepinephrine or dopamine into your system and norepinephrine and dopamine are two they're pleasure chemicals and reward chemicals but neurochemicals are multi-tools right they serve a lot of different functions in the brain and both dopamine and norepinephrine are powerful focusing chemicals right when they're in our system we're excited we're enthusiastic we can't stop thinking about the thing that we're thinking about we can't stop paying attention these that combination by the way is the same cocktail as romantic love Mm -hmm. so like the kind of obsessive focus you have in romantic love it's that combination Mm -hmm. right so triggers either drive those neurochemicals or they lower cognitive load which is all the crap you're thinking about at any one time and if i lower cognitive load i free up more energy to focus so there's 22 triggers they all do one of those three things some do two some do three and they vary so there's a whole series of dopamine triggers so anytime you take a risk physical emotional psychological uh you get dopamine novelty produces dopamine complexity uh so when you look up at a night sky and you see an overwhelming amount of complexity and it's sort of like the brain sort of pauses to process it mm-hmm. right freezes you have awe it's the front edge of a flow state basically um and unpredictability also uh pattern recognition when you link two ideas together so you've done a crossword puzzle that little rush of pleasure when you get a right answer that's dopamine and you get it because whenever we link two ideas to give it pattern recognition it's really good for our survival cause and effect right mm-hmm. helps us get more food um you get dopamine so there's a whole bunch of triggers that drive dopamine and so forth um and there's you know individual triggers what would drive me into flow or you into flow and then there's the shared collective version of flow state what's known as group flow it's a team performing at the chanting best. and marching right. together chanting and marching and there's so there's 10 group flow triggers and you'll like this because we were talking about improv comedy earlier the guy who did the research his name is Keith Sawyer is now at the University of North Carolina what he did is he filmed Second City Television the improv comedy feeder troupe for Saturday Night Live yeah. for 15 years and would then he developed this incredibly painstaking frame-by-frame analysis technique to look at the video and he was sort of doing what you guys do for charisma or you know people skills and he would say okay he's looking for the moments that the 
It clicks. It clicks. Yeah. Everything clicks. Laughter. Yeah. You can j- judge the audience laughter because the mm-hmm. audience laughter goes way the fuck up, right? Everybody's funny all of a sudden. It's clicking. And so he worked backwards from that moment and he started asking, well, what is everybody doing? What's happening? And it's gone. For, a lot of people have built on Keith's work um, and there's lots of different subdivisions in, in group flow. There's relational flow, me and you talking together. There's something called team flow where the flow triggers themselves are sort of built into the foundational team dynamics so that you don't actually even have to do anything there that like the way the teams are ordered yeah exactly I'll give you a really great example of that is uh, skunk works in so most companies if they want to innovate they build a skunk works and the original idea keep bashing you're totally okay Uh, the original idea came out of Lockheed Martin we wrote about it in bold I want to say but if you look at the like there's 14 rules for skunk or whatever they were you need to be left alone you got it skunk works for people who don't know are these tiny divisions and companies that don't often have a direct profit motivation it's like go pursue your interest and we're not going to subject you to the same rigors of production that we have for every other division. Right. That we and have. It's best and brightest ideas, no ideas, too mm-hmm. wild and weird. And the most important thing is autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. Autonomy. So one of his rules was you only report directly to the head of the company. Mm-hmm. You never have to work. So there's no management chain um, whatsoever. All those rules, turn. a lot of those rules are flow triggers. Mm. They're right. So in that would be a case of what what we call this team flow, right? Where like the rules for how we run a skunk works produces group flow, which is great because creativity, innovation go through the roof when you produce group flows. You have, if you want a successful skunk works, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's awesome that they're sort of built into some of the rules for skunk. Yeah. So when, so people sitting at home, they're going, okay, I have a free afternoon. I want to play with this flow thing. I, I'm not really sure. You know, I've kind of repressed my childhood. <laughs> that stuff's all gone. Where, where's uh, high likelihood places for me to start? Is it is it in writing? Is it in uh, vigorous activity? What is what is like one of the most reliable ways for the a majority of people to start? Th- so this. Um, that's a hard question to answer because it's going to be very individual. Okay, um, that can be the answer. It's it's going to be very very individual. Um, if you're wired for action sports or contact sports, they're both fantastic. Like MMA, that was yeah. yeah I, I was actually thinking surfing and MMA. Yeah. yeah, I mean action sports and contact sports because there's physical risk involved, and usually the amount of risk is a lot smaller than the perception of the risk. Yep. Right? If you've never surfed before, and I take you out santa monica and it's three feet yeah yeah you're gonna be scared right <laughs> three feet three to four feet is gonna scare you when you yeah. actually you know I mean, by the way the first time i ever went surfing three foot wave put me in the hospital yeah. so that besides that, like you <laughs> can't risk, actually get risk hurt is real. you can't get hurt but you gotta be a moron like me to get hurt in three foot <laughs> surf um no i like so is it fair to say that uh, a good way to look back on your life if to tell if you were in flow is it ends with a state of euphoria well it all the neurochemicals that underpin flow and there's five um are feel-good drugs they're the most powerful feel-good drugs the brain can produce so one of the things we know across the board is that the people who score off the charts for overall well-being life satisfaction happiness meaning of life those are the people with the most flow in their lives it's a direct correlation there general rule by the way so 
quick shorthand for how learning and memory work in the brain, the more neural chemicals that show up during an experience, better chance it's going to move from short-term holding into long-term storage, right? One of the other things neural chemicals do is tag experiences as super important, safe for mm -hmm. later. So flow, because it's this enormous cocktail, tends to be what you remember. So if I ask you, give me your 10 happiest memories from the past 20 years, some of them are going to be romantically involved, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing a lot other of them are going to be flow states. Yeah. They're well, seared into memory that way. Are those separate? Like if you go out and you meet someone and you're euphoric about it, could that not be when you're flirting be flow. a state yeah, of could, flow? Yeah, you could have relational flow for yeah. sure. Like when you're falling in love, right? The, yeah. Those intense converts, that's relational flow at its at its finest. Mm -hmm. Got it. Do you have more flow? I, I want to pivot if, if you have any other flow questions, though. No, go for it. So hard pivot right here. We'd mentioned this at the beginning, and I've, it's been We're going back, back to my technology. Mind. So tech and morality. Ah. So I don't know if you saw yesterday. What, what's the name of the latest book, by the way? The Future is Faster Than You Think. Cool. Just because I think people are going to find this interesting and want to get it. So. Cool. So Chris Matthews, I don't know if you saw yesterday, stepped uh -huh. down from Hardball. Oh. And he kind of just went on air, and he says... I'm leaving. He does this in the first five minutes of his hour, so they're scrambling after this because he wasn't supposed to. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the past of my generation, including myself, said some things to women that are not okay, but it was okay at the time, but I'm sorry for it, so, you know, here I go. And you get the impression that he made some uh, comments, as he says, that many men in his position at the time were making because it was morally acceptable, if not by today's standards, than by the 1950s, 60s, whatever. And so what I'm seeing is that our moral standards on the back of technology are changing rapidly because part of the reason that it was okay mm. to treat women the way that they were treated was because it was, it was at the home. And technology changed in such a way that now we have an economic system that has women in the workplace and it's more obvious and they have more agency and all of a sudden that's not okay. So I'm, I'm looking at how uh, homophobia has gone from the most common name that somebody was called in my elementary school to this will stop your presidential bid, <laughs> you know, like in incredible changes in moral norms on the back of technology. And I'm just curious if you've thought what this means, because it seems like by the time that we're 20 years older, you know, in my case, 50, in your case, probably, you know, 50 as well. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> so by the time 20 years from now, that we're going to look back and, you know, the, the having eaten meat and having Instagrammed your meal, now that there's these uh, beyond meats, you're really going to look back and, oh, my God, that person had a steak yeah, yeah, and he yeah. was flaunting it. I'm curious if you've thought about the moral implications at all at this rapidly changing technology. So it's in, there's a there's a so that's a great question. And um, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And the second the caveat is mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know how coherent what but we're going to fumble our way yeah, through a bunch fumble. of stuff <laughs> i like okay. fumbling so um the first thing i have to point out is um the change we're seeing now to credit try to credit to technology mm -hmm. um and the generation that has grown up under technology is really doing a disservice to people who started in the 50s fighting really freaking hard for mm -hmm. this and into the 60s and the 70s. So you mean the social the changes that we've yeah. seen? Yeah, I mean, you have to, so I always say this to people. When I got out of uh, high school in 1985, <laughs> I hated business. Business was like Satan. Mm -hmm. was, was And the reason was all the things I was interested in, passion, 
curiosity, creativity. You know, like you couldn't you couldn't walk into a boardroom and say things like, "Oh, we're going to try to make this company more passionate, mm-hmm. more creative." Forget like triple bottom down, and we want to do a social good at the same time. You couldn't have those conversations. Men couldn't have emotions mm-hmm. when I was a child. In fact, as a scientist, I will tell you that emotions were not a real topic for science until 1996, when a guy named Yak Ponce who's a neuroscientist at the University of Washington, brilliant genius, um, who traced the seven foundational emotional pathways in all found in all mammals. Mm-hmm. So suddenly people went, oh, wow, there's actual neurobiology. These are distinct neurobiological systems that produce grief and produce anger. And right, oh, this is a real thing. Suddenly you could talk about emotions. Like we have come so far so fast. It's astounding. And a lot of it happened without technology or with really primitive technology. I mean, if you want to talk about the largest shift, one of the largest shifts in perception of African-American culture, and people don't like to talk about this now for obvious reasons, but was Cosby on Mm. television. Suddenly there was a safe black man in everybody's living room and people could suddenly go, oh my God, black people aren't scared. I look, I can write Will and Grace. And by the way, I know that people- I think these are massive transformations. And I know the people who created Will and Grace. They they knew exactly what they were doing. They were like, we want to do Cosby for gay people. That's like, it was, it was done in, I mean, like great shows, really good theater, but like it was, there was intentionality. No, there's someone trying to do this for people in the Middle East and he literally goes on talk shows and he goes, I'm trying trying to do do it for animal rights. I'm trying, we have have a movement called dogs on film that comes out of my animal, the animal sanctuary where we're trying to get Hollywood to start including animal rescue and really simple dog rights. Don't, you know. Don't go to a breeder and buy a dog. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Go to a shelter. We kill 20 million dogs a year in America, right? Don't perpetuate this by going to a breeder, that kind of thing, into television. Because it's the most, it's, right? So, it's, and, so and that's a great example of a technological shift just speeding along these. But, these and, yeah, and my, so my point is, though, it's not the new tech. It's, the, like, it's just the, it's, how do you Broad, share the information yeah, yeah. at speed, right? Is one. Two, here's where things get really interesting, and this is what's sort of interesting exciting and this is the first time i don't know the first time it was written about the first time i noticed it there was a book by robert wright um who called non-zero and when clinton was in office as president one day the story goes i don't know if this is true but it caught my attention that he came into work one day he had read non-zero and he said okay if you want a job at the white house by tomorrow you have to read this no, book no. <laughs> right, so the entire white house read the book overnight is my understanding i don't know if it's true or not but i love the story anyways he was the first guy he was a game theorist and i won't, won't go into it but he started to notice that society was evolving from playing zero sum games mm-hmm. which is like i win you lose to non-zero sum games either we both win or everybody loses mm-hmm. and the classic example is nuclear war right either we don't have a nuclear war and everybody wins or we have one and the whole world loses, right? Climate change is, is one of those games as well, um, kind of thing. And there's a lot of, so he started to notice that we were evolving that way. Steven Pinker has pointed out we're living in kind of the most peaceful time in the history of the universe, right? In his History of Violence book. And the Harvard Development Project, where they've been studying adult development for over 100 years now, discovered that millennials, for example, are as empathetic as at age 20, 30, as my generation was at thirty to, uh, at 40 to 50. Yep. Right? So it's, that is, like, we're, our morality is fundamentally, like, 
shifting and evolving and changing and technology is speeding along. And I think what you're looking at, the, the hard, let's call it the hard wall reaction for, for, for lack of a better thing, is the pendulum always swings both ways, mm-hmm. right? You put an African-American man into the White House and it was followed, but right? Like it's gonna yeah. go back and forth, it's gonna go back and forth. And sooner or later, it sort of gets to the middle ground. And it's funny because I remember we were like, like I was mostly late 80s, 90s. That was sort of, I'm an old punk rocker and I come from the Midwest. And that meant like, if you were weird in the Midwest, it didn't like, there was there were no divisions. Like if you were a transvite communist, you hung out with the punks and the hippies. and Because it was like, we were like, Two thousand of us, and there were a lot, of them, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? You and could, like, you couldn't be like, intersectional. You could, yeah, you, there was no like, <laughs> like we just had to stay together because that was just us like that them. was the only yeah, way yeah. we were staying alive, yeah. right? Kind of thing. Um, and we always thought, oh god, our big breakthrough, right? Because every generation thinks they like push the ethics farther than. And we thought what we had done is we had like normalized, like in the sixties, we were doing this stuff, but they make a big deal about it. They were shouting, "Oh, look at me, equal right, right?" Like it was really loud. And we thought by like our generation, it was just normalized. Like we didn't, we really like we just didn't care. You believe what you want to look how you want to look sleep with whoever you want like whatever it is we're like we're down we're fine with it and we just don't want to make a big deal out of it and we Mm -hmm. thought oh wow this is progress that's and now we're like totally back to oh my god we got to shout about it we got to make a huge deal about it we have progress it's not fast enough we haven't gone far enough god bless you and all those things may be right right i'm not i'm not disagreeing with that point of view um i'm just saying History is a funny way of repeating itself along these these lines, and whatever the technology of the time is, it seems to be advancing it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it and, is, and so yeah, and and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but well, yeah, I mean, I just I, I think the way I see it is that what technology does is it enables the it enables the populace to kind of have a power, if that makes sense. So yeah, cancel sure. cancel culture can only exist because of social media, which is to say if a big hotshot does something that um, someone underneath him feels uncomfortable about, well, they can't report to him because he's their boss. And if they go to a news station, they go, I can't report on this. I'll lose my job. But now they can just go to their own social media, which allows things to, to happen the way that they are. So that's the problem is what I there's see. No, with- there's no course correct in the system, right? The course correct these days is Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the that and a couple other people. That's the course correct, and that's the that's what we have. Yeah. I mean, what we've we figured out how to move things fast and change. But you know, he's not wrong. I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but there were different times. The rules were very, very well, different. That's kind the of what game I, was very, very. That's what different. I see with a lot of these people who are you know tweets from ten years old. It's it's. I think a lot of people view morality as if it was this absolute thing and where we are at in right. 2020 is what it has always been and it and should have it, always been what it will always what be. It will always be. Yeah, that's, well, that's the thing that people well, get that's, confused and, about. And, you know, so um, you guys probably don't know this, but I also write novels and to write the future is faster than you think because the level of technological acceleration is so complicated. And what this book is about convergence. So it's converging exponentials. It's this accelerate robotics meets artificial intelligence meets 3d printing and what do you, and it was really, even though I've been researching this, I'm an expert in it, et cetera, et cetera. I couldn't hold it all in my head. So I wrote a, a sci-fi book called last Tango in cyberspace. Um, and there's a lot of these ethical questions. And one of the things we're seeing for sure is you know one we're going to start seeing a keep humans pure movement mm-hmm. because we're going to start being able to genetically augment this and that and there's a whole punk rock 
biohacking movement where they want to cat's eyes and regrow tails and all kinds mm-hmm. of rear right but that's all like people are working on it and it's coming and sure. we're gonna right we're hybrids and all that stuff and so we're about to discover a whole bunch of new hates we've never had before yeah. and then we're having to overcome them and that's so you know just seems the other the other thing nobody you know with the intersectional stuff the brain Whenever the brain meets another human being, it asks a found anything. It asks a fundamental question: Is this thing like me, or is it not like me? Mm-hmm. And if it's like me, I can cooperate with it, and maybe we can make more resources. I could have sex with it, and maybe we can make more <laughs> me. Or if it's not like me, maybe I should run away from it, or maybe I should eat it. Right? That's the fundamental question the brain is asking: Is it like me or not like me? With brain, does us them primarily because it has helped us survive. And the fastest way to get the brain to put an us them is to put a name on it. Mm-hmm. So it's a double edged sword, right? I now we're coming ab- back into the psychedelic I, realm. I, I like this. I mean, I, but I love the like, <laughs> the like if we look at what's going on with sexuality, right? We now have seventy different gender pronouns and different ways to represent groups, and that is a whole bunch of people saying, "Hey, look at me! I'm something different. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I've got a distinct, and I've got rights, and all those things are true." Not disagreeing, like absolutely accurate. The problem is the minute you put a name on it, you are creating an us-them divide. Like you're the very thing you're trying to overcome, you're fighting against the way the biology works. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong and biology is right and we're we're, like we can evolve beyond that. But I'm saying, you know, in peak performance, as I said earlier, much of it is trying to get your biology to work for you rather than against you. Mm -hmm. And so I think about these things this way. I think about the ethical questions from a biological perspective and how do we make it work that way. It seems it seems to me that the us them question almost at its core is do I is this me? Do I identify with this? Is this my nation? Is this my people? Is this my uh person who shares a belief as I do? And you you talk about the I forget what the words that you use, but you talk about this layer of interconnectivity that's going on all around planet Earth such that our thoughts and emotions via Twitter are being transmitted instantly, but even faster than that once we get these the Elon Musk Neuralinks in it such that I can feel what other people are feeling. And weirdly enough, it's not even a question at this point of, is this person like me? It's almost instantaneously, this person is me because if, if their thoughts are occurring in yeah, my head yeah those are that was my right hand and my left hand peter and i went to that so the book is really focused on what happens over the next 10 years and we go industry by industry right we don't go too far out but the last chapter we look at the 100 year view and we look mm-hmm. at when the way we did it is by looking at migrations because migrations are one of the largest forces for mass change in history and we're entering an era of like five of the biggest migrations in human history are all starting to unfold right now and one of them is the brain-computer interface migration into, like, this hive mind yep. world. And it's not – I don't think it's – this is not next week. This is not – this may not even be 2030s, mm-hmm. but the technology is moving shockingly. I, like, I, I – nobody, 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 nobody was more skeptical about brain-computer interface stuff than me. Yeah. And um, – but I started when I read Charles Lieber's original research out of Harvard that Elon Musk is building his technology out of. I was like, holy crap, this is a lot farther along than I like. Now this is a problem of scale. It's not a 
can it work? No, it it works. Like it it already mm-hmm. works. It's can it? How can we scale it up? That's an entirely different. Set and weirdly of enough, it is it, Twitter is happening now. Granted, it's through the medium of me reading text. It enters my brain, creates a feeling. But if somebody tells a, a harrowing story on Twitter, they can instantaneously essentially create By the way, feelings this is of where compassion. The, this is where the term empathy came from. Mm-hmm. Originally in the 1800s, this was the problem they were trying to solve. It was art theory. And they were mm-hmm. like, how the fuck does a painting work? Mm-hmm. I look at this photograph and I somehow feel what the photographer was feeling mm-hmm. when, like, it's the photographer's emotion when they took the photo transported through time. Yep. How does that work? Right? It's the same. It was and the it's same getting question. faster and the yeah. scale's occurring. So uh, one of the things that I feel like we almost have a model of this in, you said it's happening faster than ever. There were, at one point, only single-celled organisms. And then I assume over the course of millions and millions of years, they started cooperating in ways that eventually became indistinguishable from multi-celled organisms. And I feel like we're at this point in human history well, where we are. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that we, I, we're I, at that, can, we that, made that, 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 that splitting We said point. this in bold. We made a mm-hmm. similar argument in bold, but you're taking it into future and faster, and you're mm-hmm. totally right, right? The history of evolution, the history of cooperation. Mm-hmm. Right, like each each great step forward is involving some kind of foundational leap, and we don't think of it that way, right? We don't think of the fact that the human body is, you know, we're a multicellular organism. Mm-hmm. It's a huge cooperative entity. In fact, honest to God, this is a legitimate question um, in flow science. So, flow is optimal performance. We are made up of a lot of non-human organisms. Right, a mm-hmm. lot of bacteria, yeah. a lot of viruses, a lot of stuff that are not human. And so the question we've been asking is, when we say optimal performance, does it mean that all the biology that's inside of us is, is optimal? Like, is the microbiome, right? Are the organisms that are not human working for the benefit of? Like, when what the red blood cell mean? goes and kills itself to prevent an invasion, I mean, is that optimal performance? Is there this sense of self that has transcended any of those individual it's cells? Interesting, right? And now it's. I mean, we've seen that with armies, you know, sacrificing themselves for the good of the nation. But I feel like we're at this crazy thing because when I read the future is faster, or at least parts of it, I got very scared. I was like, there's no room even for me because you talk about how there's these cameras that can view micro expressions on people and instantly tell you what they're thinking, feeling. And I was like, well, there go charisma breakdowns. Uh, yeah, yeah. I see <laughs> what you're saying. But it won't matter. That's the thing that I take but, away from it is but, like, there'll be no scarcity of resources. I'll be able to plug into VR with my haptic suit and we'll have a singularity. I won't need a job. Yes. I won't need charisma on command. Yes. I'll just be part of this big organism where my thoughts are everyone's thoughts but the but once again <laughs> like you're not losing you got, at that but point you really got, like you're but, winning but there's still the joy you're you guys have so much fun figuring out why matthew mcconaughey is charming yeah yeah right like like you're gonna be doing this for a while because it's what you do it's a way mm-hmm. of thinking about the world that's fun and i think that point is like we get to do more of what we want to do right and it's um we get there the hard way it's uncomfortable work technological unemployment is going to remove a lot of kind of blue collar you know the they're fe- not the they're not that i had was like this is the end of me being useful in the ways uh, that i'm so conditioned to being useful and of, of everybody but i guess we have to find new ways to become maybe not useful but just i don't i don't know what the new verb so is. so i will tell you i will tell you um i came up as a journalist and i uh this, these new terms aren't going to mean anything to you, but I was what's known as a new, new journalist. New journalism was a movement in journalism in the 60s and 70s, and I was part of a, a revival group of journalists in the in the 90s. Used, most of us were on staff one way or another at GQ and Esquire mm-hmm. uh, by the end of it. Um, but 
it was a style of long form narrative writing, you know, 10,000 word articles, 12,000 word articles. And it, by 2007, it was gone. Like two, but it was just gone, right? Yeah. So a mat, how angry do you get when you spend 30 years becoming best in the world yeah. or something, right? Literally like best in the world, top 100, yeah. top 200, top 500, whatever list you have. And suddenly it's gone. I was so, for like about six, seven months, I'd never actually like had real deep seething rage that lasted a really long mm-hmm. time um, probably other than how I felt about my parents growing up. I was just going <laughs> to say that I was just going to say that sorry mom dad love you love you guys but yeah okay uh, yeah um, uh, but no so when you you know that is a real thing like when you know I watched my industry go away two different times uh, it hadn't occurred to me that you've experienced yeah, this because like, a journalist yeah when one of the reasons I, you know I feel um okay to talk about some of these things out loud because i really like i did you know live through a bunch of them i've experienced the upside you know Mm -hmm. i I helped found one of the first online magazines i Mm -hmm. worked on the very first video game that had biofeedback we've like i was Mm -hmm. in a lot of the startup early 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 san francisco stuff and i got hit by it as well and you know got my ass kicked by it so i think i've been on all sides of it um and i will tell you that a big topic of research for me is you want to know some of the stuff that I'm focusing a lot on. One of the things that I focus on now a lot is what I call long haul creativity, mm-hmm. which is how do you maintain high levels of creativity and innovation over the course of a really long career? And I'm interested in one, people who have sustained their creative talent and continue to nurture it and grow it and that way, or people who have reinvented themselves in fifth act, sixth act, mm-hmm. seventh act, right? And they're still like, how do you do that? Yeah. And how, right, really fascinating to me. It's a whole different set of skills than actually just What have you found? I'm, I'm personally interested because I feel like we're at the end of an act. You know, like I feel like we've done our thing. I've, I've. So I was taught, I was, we can cut things in and out. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, so Rian actually was talking a little about you guys, and I said something. He's like, "You should tell them." And I was like, mm-hmm. "I don't know if it's my place, but I'm <laughs> going to tell you, and you yeah. can cut it out if you want." Which is, he said, "You guys were going to get it, move away from the videos and bring in script scripters and things mm-hmm. like that." And I, what I said is, I hope they don't do that. Mm-hmm. I hope instead they lean deeper into their craft. And what I meant by that is. You guys have only started to scratch the surface on the science of actually what's going on. And you're great at it. Nobody's breaking. Everybody I see who's doing charisma stuff or any of this stuff is trying to do what you guys are doing. You guys are better at it than the rest. You have a market advantage. The science that you've already been dabbling in, i that's where I would lead. That's, I, I'm, I don't know you guys. No, I don't that's, know where I you want to go. I, I, but I, I literally, I was like, oh, I want them to double down. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I want them to like go go deeper and don't don't outsource this, the, the craft. Double down on the, cra- the stuff that's great. Outsource the stuff that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in relating this to what you said, and we won't cut that because I, I appreciate the, the feedback. What... How does one know, for instance, you said fifth, six, seven acts. Well, how do you know? That's, that's part of the issue. Is, is, it, is it time for act two or is it time to double down and, re, and, and continue on act one? And then what are the things that you've started to find in your preliminary research that enable people to reinvent themselves? Because I personally, being on YouTube, I think of PewDiePie, who's the biggest YouTuber and has reinvented himself. I don't know if you know this half dozen or more times just you know he's right. doing video games now he's doing news now he's doing this and he seems to follow his interest yeah this so this was so this peter and i say this all up peter diamant is my co-writer mm-hmm. in the future especially we say this a lot because people always like 
how do I build a business in the future? Mm -hmm. And I always say is, here's the greatest thing about all this accelerating technology is it all comes with user-friendly interfaces so that we tell a story in the book about a quantum computing. Let's not even, let's just say this is the craziest sci-fi technology, right, ever, and now it's real. And one of the places it's real is in Berkeley, California at Rigetti Computing. And when we talk about that, and here's the crazy part, quantum computing is the most far future technology you could possibly imagine. You can go to rigetti.com right now, and you can download for free Forest, which is their app developer's kit for the quantum world. And you can run programs on Forest. Over a million programs have been run by normal people. So every single accelerating technology has a user-friendly interface. And I just read this chapter, so correct me, just to give people a, a little bit of grounding here. So Moore's Law is that transistors shrink in size, and they double in, in power. power every short 18 months 18 or something. Months, exactly. This breaks Moore's Law to the extreme in the positive direction, which is to say it goes even beyond exponential of that. It gets that. it gets really so quantum is it's a it's a it's a weird thing, right? Because with Moore's law you have bits. If they're mm-hmm. binary, on, off. Because of how quantum dynamics work, you have four options or more. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way we always explain so they quibits are bits in quantum computing. So Right now we are at right a fifty quibit computer. Google just announced it. It it it's it sort of that was the the line was they called it quantum supremacy, which is we built a quantum computer that can solve a problem, it was a mathematical problem, that a classical computer, a traditional computer, can't solve. Mm-hmm. So we, we just crossed that, we're about fifty quibits. Fifty quibit computer, um and Google didn't it's not a really robust working we're not really there, but let's just say we are. We're not quite there yet. Um that's basically 50 million songs stored on an iPod. It's a lot of storage, a lot of storage, it's a lot of power, it's a lot of memory. If we bump that up to 80 quibits, so I just add 30 quibits to it, like not a huge shift. The Rigetti quantum computer that was to the previous generation of Google's quantum supremacy that you can access is 32 quibits. Mm-hmm. So we went from 32, a year and a half later, I think it was 50, right? So we're gonna, 80. we'll get to 80 fairly quickly, a couple of years. If every atom in the universe could store one bit of information, an 80-quibit computer has more processing power than all the atoms in the universe. Mm-hmm. That's what you're... It's huge. Now, wow. what does it mean in real life? Like, text 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Because um, quantum isn't quite there. It's coming very soon, though, this decade. And... The low-hanging fruit is drug discovery and material science. So new materials, new, which is great for solar and some of the environmental technology, really fantastic for that. Lot low-hanging fruit is drug discovery, new compounds. Um, that's what's gonna. That's what's gonna shift first. Fast. <laughs> I have a follow-up question that's completely self-interested. Uh, so, I think one of the things that Charlie is struggling with is after doing the same creative pursuit over and over and over there's a bit of burnout which is ah. to say something that was fun oh is not fun right is that fair yeah so d- depending on who i'm covering yeah so in terms of leaning in it's not so much like yeah. oh where do i get the effort from it's like oh this used to be fun so i will tell you i've written 13 books mm-hmm. every book i set myself a different writing challenge so like there's my content challenge what am i trying to communicate and then there's a level up make it harder sometimes mm-hmm. it's this last year is could i write three books in a year um 
I could, but it nearly killed me. <laughs> the answer <laughs> is barely. Barely. <laughs> barely. Barely. And really hard. And never will I do it again. Yeah, yeah. But I, right, bold was, could I write a business book that doesn't suck? Because mm-hmm. business books suck. They're terribly written. The stories are bad. They're not. They, they make up all their own terms mm-hmm. so they can brand things their own mm-hmm. way and you can't follow it. And then they sell you it. a seminar. Right. And <laughs> Chapter right, three. The whole thing is <laughs> like, a workshop. Exactly. Um, so like, you know, sometimes it's, it's essentially with stealing fire, it was fact density per sentence. So you talked earlier about cognitive load, mm-hmm. right? How much stuff can you hold in your head at one time? So we have this when we read every time you see a punctuation mark especially a period you're pausing your brain pauses and it offloads things out mm-hmm. of like right, working memory into it's like medium turn storage kind of thing or it throws it out um and so sentences yeah. can hold a certain amount of facts and blah blah and sting the fire i had to write a denser style of sentence than i'd ever had to write before and so, and I also wanted it to be a little funnier than some of my other mm-hmm. books because I thought the material needed some of that. And so I, I tried to. I always said Stephen Pinker was my model for density, and there were a couple of other models for for humor, and that's that was the challenge in Stealing Fire. So I think you have to raise the challenge level, right? So, you know, the question we were talking earlier about. Uh, the thing you bailed on, which was Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. uh, and the comedic simile. Yeah. Right? You you bailed on it in, in the video. Um, well, and you said, there's no way I could do that in 30 seconds, mm-hmm. right? I could do four minutes on it, but how do I... Well, there's a great freaking challenge. Like, that's what I mean by that. Like, lean it. in. And, and so how do you pick a challenge that will create flow instead of be demoralizing or frustrating? So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I'm going to... I'm going to come at it a little sideways, uh, but this is one of the things we see in peak performance, and I sort of think it's foundational. So if you're interested in flow long-term, the first thing we teach you is how do you turn curiosity into passion, passion into purpose, and then add in autonomy and mastery to the stack. These are the five biggest intrinsic motivators, and they're designed to work together, right? Curiosity gets built into passion. Passion gets turned into purpose. Once you have purpose, you can know what to do with your autonomous time. Oh, I can spend my time advancing my purpose. And then mastery, the last motivator, is the skills that required to accomplish my purpose, right? And you have to mm-hmm. stack all of these in a row, right? So when we talked about finding and to prepare for this future, right? Like because of these user-friendly interfaces, whatever you're interested in, there's going to be a technology there, right? Mm-hmm. So you literally can follow your passion in the future. So Kitty Pie on that is totally right. You really can. I We always tell Peter and I tell people, figure out what you're passionate about. Figure out where it intersects some kind of problem in the world that you'd like to see solved. There's a technology that's sitting right there, Yeah, right? And I have to hop in here because I was talking to my Please. brother yesterday and he said, I wish I was passionate about something. I'm not passionate about anything. I went, what are you talking about? Like I, I see you all the time talking about basketball and playing in your free time and do, like people have this view of passion that automatically incorporates what they 
they think is a viable business mm-hmm. or career decision. Yeah. And it's just like, get that out of there because as you're saying, it's all a viable business decision at to some degree. It's, I was playing video games when I was a kid. Every adult in my life told me, what are you going to do? Play video games for a living? Yes, actually. Turns out, <laughs> absolutely. Dan DMT, anybody? <laughs> exactly. Right? So, and I see that in people. So the question is, uh, you're doing something in your free time. I know you have free time, even if it's television and if it's going, well, that show doesn't work or that show doesn't work because, you know, that's what I do. I say this joke, you know, I was looking at my cool friends and going, how come everyone laughs at him when he tells a joke but not at me? Right, right. That's my job right, now. Right, right. So I, I just have to jump in and say, you, you, everyone has a passion. I truly believe it. And I think it's more obvious than well, people me, give it credit so for. So let me, let's just make it more practical. Mm-hmm. So, um, you can just search my name and the passion mm-hmm. recipe. This is I wrote this for Forbes as a column, um, but I tell people start by making a list of twenty five things you're curious about. And by curious, all I'm saying is, hey, if time didn't matter and money didn't matter, and you had a free weekend, you would want to read a couple of books on this subject, maybe attend a couple of lectures, maybe sit down and have a conversation or two with an expert. Right? That's all I mean. You're curious about it. Make a list of twenty five things you're curious about. There's not enough energy in a single curiosity to create passion, but if you can find a place three or four or five of your curiosities actually intersect, you actually have the foundation of passion, Mm -hmm. right? So look for intersections of multiple curiosities. Where did they overlay? And I'll give you, you know, the uh, take, I mean, I'm not going to give you an example because the one that's probably in my mind is the example that's going to open my new book and I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not giving it to you guys. I like you guys, but not that much. Um, Trust me, we're not that hard of workers that we'd beat you to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just that I want to like keep it you're as a surprise it. for you're my readers. It. Got it. Yeah, I don't think you're going to steal his stuff. Or, you know, well, My new book, try. Stealing <laughs> Ideas. Stealing by Ideas. <laughs> stealing Ideas. Um, I don't know if that, that so answers got it. So, so okay. you've got a, a couple of curiosities, yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, so just look at the yeah, look at the, for the intersection of multiple curiosities, right? Mm-hmm. And I've written the, down some questions too that I have, that I had in here, but you guys could, you guys can continue. I'm just going to pull them up real quick. Yeah. Well, what what about when you have a passion for your work and then you lose it? How do you stoke it back? That's an interesting question. Um, usually, I would up the challenge level. Usually, I would I would find a way to up the challenge level get myself curious again but that's i think sort of a personal answer much more than a biological answer i'm giving mm-hmm. you what would work for me um i need new projects personally yeah i mean i like <laughs> I, need, I i i, I often i mean yeah i do it's i don't get so i don't give up on the old stuff i organize my wife my life differently I, you your wife, know, like my, my wife. <laughs> but I've got like you know I've got there's three things that I sort of do on this planet right and there's about three things I got to do to for those three things to work and that's my filter and those are big mission statement goals mm-hmm. so what is the high hard goal that gets me closer maybe it's a book maybe it's a magazine article maybe it's a film maybe it's a class maybe right there's a those vehicles can change mm-hmm. and i will mix those up to keep it super interesting mm-hmm. so this is the downside of psychedelics is when your purpose stops being making money or even changing other people and it becomes how do i get good at sitting on a mountaintop for a week alone and being joyful that's my purpose work right now. <laughs> work production plummets as as your pursuit of that goal increases not a problem it's a problem for me because it's not my goal it's my business partner's goal <laughs> 
I'll tell you about my meditation. I see. I <laughs> so, see. But so we got save time. I was just reading about uh, one of the effects oh, of yeah, all these yeah. technologies yeah, yeah. is free time. And you look at that and you go, oh, great, free time. And that was my thought. But also I've recognized that what a lot of people do with their free time is they fill it up with stuff. And it mm. seems to me that one of the great coping mechanisms of the world is things that they have to do. I have to uh, take my kids to soccer practice. I have to go to work. Because I, what I found is one of the biggest things that stops beginning entrepreneurs is a terror of the void, as Tim Ferriss calls it. This free, open time to explore yourself, do whatever you want, because they're afraid of what would happen. So I'm curious, and one of the things that I hope is the case, is that that freed up time won't just go towards scrolling Instagram mindlessly, being on Facebook or filling your social media app, but will go towards introspection. And again, just curious if you've thought at all about what this, because all of the work is going to be done by AI, robots, other things in the medium term future, it appears. What's well, okay, left so for, for one, not true. Okay, so, so correct well, yeah, me. Let, let me, let me, let's just let's, let's back up on that one. Sure. Um, and then we'll talk about your question. But yeah. what we're seeing right now is the companies that are gaining the best benefit out of AI and robotics are not removing humans. Mm -hmm. They're collaborating. So the largest growth category in robotics are cobots. Cooperative robots that we work together with, bunch of companies, BMW, uh, Tesla, two good mm -hmm. examples, completely automated everything. They all robots, no humans. Mm -hmm. We're going to run the factory two four seven, no humans, blah, and productivity plummeted. They both had to reintroduce humans back into the, what seems to work best is humans and robots and AI all working together as a collaborative because they're different strengths and. I don't what see... What is the unique human strength there? Yeah, so robots, a, robots never get tired. They work all the time. AI is well, going to be brilliant. Yeah, what do you say, is that add? just a symptom of weak AI? It may be a symptom of weak AI um, at some point. And strong AI, weak AI, these are technical... I'm assuming you're... you know, no, no, no. This is... No, I don't think Ben means it technically you, you at mean, all. You know, <laughs> no, no. So strong AI, is an, strong AI is an actual term that oh, look means at me. something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, yes, you may you may be right, but it doesn't seem to be entirely that way. Um, we have really advanced, weird-ass pattern recognition system brains that can do all kinds of lateral stuff mm. that are really... It's really hard to get right computers. I'm not saying they won't get there. Um, yeah, where's our final frontier? I was going to say, do you, do, you, do you think that AI will never surpass humans well, in terms so of it does intelligence? It, so one, by the time we're having this discussion, brain-computer interfaces will have advanced to the point that we're going to be able to write. Like, you're, 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 you're perceiving this as if we're static. It'll be a tie, you're and saying. they're growing. <laughs> It'll be a tie, because right? everyone will become well, a super Well, I mean, computer. we were talking about uploading our consciousness mm -hmm. yeah. to the web, right? If we have shared collective consciousness, right? These are interesting questions. Sure. And so everything seems to be evolving in its state. So I'm not worried. Like, the obsolescent stuff, that's mm -hmm. less concerning to me. The free time, the quality of, of your life... That stuff concerns me because it does seem like you free up time for people and they don't even do it. They don't even spend it on their most pleasurable activity, nope. right? Like, yeah. one of the things I always tell people is make a list of the 10, the 10 things that make you feel the best on the planet, the absolute best, and then compare anything you're going to waste your time with against that, right? I can spend 10 minutes every hour today checking Twitter. Mm -hmm. or social media or whatever or I can p 
put that all together at the end of the day and go surfing for you know and, 70 minutes yep. mm -hmm. right or go sit in the woods and meditate yep. for 70 minutes or that sort of thing so i i don't think i just don't think with all the distractions they're not you just take it one step further and just run the run the math yeah right? i think that's the challenge. how does this compare to this thing that brings me great joy yeah right because that's what you're trading on i think that's the challenge people face is that they they know that in conceptually but then they struggle to not get lured into the stuff that's more instantaneous well, here's, so here's the other thing i was talking about this earlier you can't so flow is a cycle it's a four-stage process it doesn't work like a binary you're not in the zone or out of the zone there's a initial struggle stage before the stage there's a period there and then there's the flow state itself and there's a recovery period on the back end because uh, flow is neurobiologically expensive and you actually have to shut things down on the mm -hmm. back end and recover it how the hell did we get here? What was I talking about yeah, a yeah. second ago? I looked at you and I got totally lost. Oh, so you're talking about, sorry, you're talking about the four stages of flow and what people are going to do with their same oh, time. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, distraction. So on the back end of a flow state, if you have a really intense flow state, riding or skiing or whatever for, what, for me, the next day, because I've, ex I've used up a lot of the norepinephrine oh, and dopamine my brain uses to focus, I can't focus as well. Mm -hmm. Right, and I start every day with a four-hour writing session. That's what I like to do. And if I can't focus as well, um, massive amounts of distraction. You can't fight state all that much. You can't really fight your biology if you're totally if you're in that tractable, exhausted state. Oh, Tony Robbins would hate that sentence so much. <laughs> but, but what you can do is steer your distractions. So I always tell people like, when I God, I don't want to sit down and start writing because you know. Oh, and I skied all day yesterday. I just want to watch ski videos. Yeah. So, okay. Ski videos would be a waste of time, but I'm super distractible. So instead what I will do is I will allow myself the distraction. But instead I will make it, you got to go read, go to the hundred best magazine articles of all time and start reading magazine articles. And that'll be my distraction. And I'll keep reading until I find a sentence where I'm like, oh my God, that's a cool sentence. I want to do that. And now suddenly I'm into my writing. Mm. So I go with my distractibility, my state, because you can't, it's hard to argue with it. But I use it, like I let it push me in a direction where I'm going to come back to the thing, right? It's going to actually end up motivating me to do the thing that I was avoiding in mm -hmm. the first place. So I find you can, that's what I mean by like, you can't fight your biology. This is where you are. Um, okay, cool. But how can I use it to get to where I need to go? Mm. So I want to come back to, yeah, what I, where I keep coming is where where do humans fit in to the third, say the 30 year picture, or maybe it's a 50 year picture where if I look at the stages of humanity at the very beginning, it's like the human's job is just to survive. It's just to help you, your family and your tribe make it through. We evolve, we get, you know, to the industrial, the enlightenment. Okay. We got to think a little bit more. We get to the industrial age. It's human's job is to produce with their hands. Then we get to the information age. It's like, no, it's to uh, think wisely and leverage your, your intelligence to get even more done. And then it seems like we're, eventually ai just beats us there and and it's wiser to have or can replace us can let's, replace say. Us. let's say that it's, you work becomes optional because you can always slot in an equally intelligent ai or maybe maybe i'm misunderstanding but you know it's it's uh, just more economically feasible to have an artificially intelligent consultant than to have a human with my limited even with my Neuralink upload do you have a vision of what the human role in all of this eventually becomes are we i again like so i don't try to go 
too far out. Too far, too far out. Probably smart. I, mean, <laughs> I do it like in science fiction, but yeah. like it's. Well, your science fiction book was seven years out, right? Yeah, it was, so seven, then, it was really hard. Yeah, even and then you don't like, go too far. And, you know, complexity of science, like, you know, small changes in initial conditions, big changes in outcome. This yeah. shit is hard to predict, that sort of makes, stuff. That makes sense. Um, so, but what I am confident of is, so here's the thing that I always tell people if you want to be scared about technological unemployment. Is I do. That no. <laughs> every, or if you don't want to be scared about technological unemployment. I'm right? excited for it. Like, yeah. No, I mean... It, I every time a technology has become gone exponential, right? We have found an internet-sized opportunity tucked inside. Got it. And we haven't seen it until it's been right. Mm-hmm. Like if I would, if you would have come to me in 1993, or the first, which was the first time four, the first time I saw the internet, yep, and said this is right, like this is going to be, I would have just started laughing at yeah. you because it was like I was bartending in San Francisco at Christy Turlington's nightclub, and my bar back Anthony Bat comes in with his like old big Mac computer, when it's the old tower with the, mm-hmm. and he's trying to set up the internet so he can show me this thing, and it's taking forever, and it's like 17 minutes to get an email, and he's like, this is going to change. <laughs> The world, yeah. yeah. You're like, it does what again? And yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Do what? Huh? Right? It was just crazy talk. VR is going is 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 going to produce that kind of opportunity this year, next year. AR is and the opportunities this year. inside are, are inside. I mean, how the opportunity is going to be inside of virtual reality? Like, yeah. you ask me, I you know I think we're in the we're seeing the like this is people don't realize it. I don't think, but we're seeing this is the end of podcasts as we know them. Right, they've got another. You know, you're the only two, person I've heard say that because everyone else is talking about the boom of podcasts. I think we've. I think this. I think you've got two, three years, and I'm not saying it's going to go away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that quality will remain, right? Which is what has happened in every one of these mediums. Quality has remained. Mm-hmm. Um, the other stuff goes elsewhere. It'll go, we're going to have what? What's a? What's a? I keep asking my staff. They're like, "You need a podcast." I'm like, "No, tell me what a VR podcast." Yeah, is. yeah. smart that's, question, right? That's the that's we'll have this discussion. Or right, I'm not like there are guys who are good at this stuff. I'm not. You know what I mean? Like. I'm not coming in late to a party yeah. mm-hmm. to compete with guys who are awesome at it, yep. and I'm not, right? Yeah. That, that's crazy. I'm going to figure out where the puck's going to be, and I'm going to start, you know, what's what's a podcast like when you have haptics, right? Even if I can what, if I can send sensations to my listeners, even crudely, what is that? Like, those are mm-hmm. questions I'm starting to ask myself yeah. and think about. Um, and, you know, suddenly, it's not like I think Joe Rogan is, is going anywhere, right? Like, Tim Ferrett, right? Like mm-hmm. these guys are great at what they do. They're really good at doing this. And as long as they continue to be interested in the medium, I think the medium will have them. Yeah. Um, right. But I think it's the millions of marketers who are trying to start podcasts to sell whatever widget yeah. or consulting this, that um, thing. Like there, that's gonna stop, mm-hmm. right? But all that stuff. So here's the good news about all that stuff, and I, and I sort of like this. One of the things that has happened is that you could game a lot of the technological systems because they were built on things like keywords. Or, oh, right? like, yeah, yeah, I immediately thought of SEO. Yeah, which so <laughs> right, SEO. So what, so here's what the other thing nobody's starting to realize is that AIs are writing books, they're making movies, they're 
judging books, they're judging movies, right? So what is happening is AIs are getting trained up in what does quality content actually look like. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the AIs really have a deep understanding of quality content, we're talking three, five, eight years, that window, you can't, like, SEO is gone, yeah. right? You have to, it's actually got to be based on quality. Well, even uh, then, can I compete? So so let's play, I don't know if this game's going to work. Three, five, eight years, they're creating content and they're judging it. And they're spitting out to themselves and internally reviewing millions of different Charisma on Command breakdown style videos. And then they're selecting the one that they have deemed the best and publishing it. Why, can I even okay. hang? Yeah, well, so, so, but... One, okay, yes, but one, you're not, A, I think you're treating your audience as a monolith. Mm -hmm. You're going to have, there's going to be a part of your audience that is like, man, I'm, I'm good with, like, I just want this technique and I'm good with AI Charlie, right? Like, that's, that's whatever that is, that's fine because I just, but like, there's going to be other people who are like, no, you know what? I like the human. I'd like the human with the errors and maybe it's not quite right. And when, I, right? There's people are, People are talking about the end of retail. That's my edge is that the I make end, mistakes. Well, the end of retail. <laughs> my, Peter, my co-author, likes to say, you know, in retail, there's two kinds of businesses. Those that are that are working with AI or those that are going to be in bankrupt in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And maybe. But, like, aren't there going to be craft retail shop? Like, I went to a suit store and got fitted by an actual human tailor, right? Yeah, like, yeah. of course that's going to happen. Because we're social creatures and blah, blah, blah. I think right? there's and a movie so, that has this where they have the most valuable possessions that they own are things that were created by humans before, like, this is a future movie, obviously. Everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. And they're obsessed with their bowls that aren't actually the perfect half of a circle. Yeah. I love them, yeah. Well, there's a whole... Uh, we uh, use the term uh, stealing fire at the end of it. can't remember... Uh, uh, there's a Japanese word for it, but... Uh, where beauty is the imperfection. Yep, they in, crack the right, bowl. They crack the bowl. I can't, I'm oh, yeah, and they fill the, the crack with gold. Wabi-sabi. Wabi-sabi. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Nailed you. Nailed it. Good job. Word for word, Justin's bringing the most value. <laughs> me, Justin brings me, the noise. Justin, Justin first, me fourth, you two somewhere in the middle. See what else? So I have... Uh, I have a question. Told, so for, I think a lot of people, they do these activities, myself included, that can lead to flow writing, skiing, surfing, but they don't get into flow every time. No. Have you found that there is a formula or a recipe <laughs> that gives you the highest percentage? Because you can tell afterwards, like, wow, that was a flow writing session. That was a flow surf yeah, session. Yeah, I mean, like... It was 10 times more fun. How do I... We do, we do, so, honestly, uh, and this is exactly what we do at Zero to Dangerous. Yep. This is, like, this, this is what our trainings are about. There are... There's a flow cycle. This is a map of the experience. If you know where you are in the cycle, you know where to go next. And there are triggers, 22 triggers. So if you can understand how the triggers work and you can understand the map of the cycle, you cannot, it's not a guaranteed, but you can make it reliable and repeatable. Mm -hmm. And the way I always like to say it is these days, 90% of the time when I go skiing, and I ski a lot, I'm in a flow state. 70% mm -hmm. of the time when I write, I'm in a flow state, and, I, and this is a daily activity. Uh, if flow, for flow, when I'm researching the state of flow, that's often a really great flow state for me. Like I'm reading like a textbook and pausing and really thinking about, you know, that sort of thing. Really deep flow. That's probably like 50%, right? Like that kind of thing. You can really up your percentages. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, 
you know, it's it's sort of simple biology. It's not none of it is really really hard. I always say that, like the dirty little secret about peak performance is that ninety percent of what you're going to do, other than like kind of the goal setting exercise, like the stuff you have to do to get into the game, you have to line up your intrinsic motivators. You have to get goal setting right, and you have to train up grit skills, and those are. Mm-hmm unpleasant right there's no way to train grit that's particularly pleasant you got to do that stuff but everything else is pretty much an item that goes in your schedule or an attitude with which you approach the item on your schedule that's everything we're talking about here right peak performance is a checklist i mean the world i study people who turn make the impossible possible right that's what i spent my life studying invariably it's a checklist so right. would, would get you be up. giving away your IP to go into that checklist? Because I don't want you. No, I don't I mean, want well, you. To... I mean, the, but, but invariably people get up. I like. So I always talk about this. Let, let's just talk about uh, one of the flow triggers and, and how how it functions. So clear goals is a flow trigger, mm-hmm. and clear goals are really so you have. I like to say there are three levels to goal setting. There's massively transformative purposes on top, right? This is my mission statement. I am here to make the planet a better place for animals, or I'm here to write great books, which are sort of two of mine. Um, then underneath that, there are high hard goals. All the sub steps. I'm going to get a college degree. I'm going to write my first book, right? Those are high hard goals. Underneath that are your clear goals. This is the shit you're doing today, mm-hmm. right? And clear goals are a flow trigger. Because they lower cognitive node. When goals are clear, so uh, like a clear goal is, I'm going to write 500 words of my new book, and the words are going to make you feel happy or make the reader feel happy or make the reader feel right. That would be a very clear goal. It's a very specific start. My answer to you, possible as a checklist, so when we teach this to people right, it's a to-do list. Um, you obviously want to start, if you can, with your hardest task first for a lot of you know, biological reasons, but there's only a certain number of things you can do in a day. I can do eight things and still be excellent at all of them. That's what I've discovered over time. Sometimes it's seven, sometimes it's nine. Usually it's about eight. So I make my clear goal list. It's got eight Eight things things on it because I know I can only be excellent at eight things. Clear goals lists also, as you know, when you check them all off the list, right, you get a little bit of dopamine for every time you accomplish a goal. And uh, you can declare your day a win. And for peak performers who never like to chill out, being able to be like, oh, wow, I won the day. I can now is now is when I pause. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really, really, really fortunate. So my answer to you is figure out how many things you can be excellent in a day at and just do that. And don't deviate from that too much. So a, my answer. A, a more rigid schedule not rigid but it's not rigid i mean you can you can have as much freedom but like and you know i find like on my clear goal list there are like three or four things that they're really they're hard right maybe it's you know advance the novel Mm -hmm. 700 words kind of thing talk Um, to ben and charlie talk to ben and (laughs) struggle through that struggle through that you know and then you know nail some spikes through my (laughs) so So we got three or four things already (laughs) (laughs) that's that's why and then like but then the other i will be like make a phone call to so-and-so or walk my dog for an hour or you know that's good workout or blah 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 that sort of thing um so it's, you know, a couple of really hard and then diminish it. And, you know, obviously you vary it day to day based on your energy level and your focus level and, and where, you're, where you're at a little bit. But that's always what it looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, always, I, I like to tell the story of uh, like 
So Peter DeMattis, my, my co-author, um, created the XPRIZE, which helped unlock the space frontier, right? Took space out of the hands of government, put it in the hands of ordinary people, and actually turned space into a, like a thriving business. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do it alone, but he was very much responsible for it with the XPRIZE. And I've known Peter for 20 some odd years. And like, wanna know what it looked like when Peter accomplished the impossible? Mm-hmm. He woke up, he had breakfast, he went somewhere, he had a conversation, he went somewhere else, he had a conversation, he typed into his computer for a while, went somewhere else, had a conversation, then he had lunch, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, yeah. is it doesn't look anything different than your days or your day or anybody else's day. Um, it The quality of the conversations are a little bit different, you know, those kinds of things, but we all have the same 24 hours and we're gonna roughly do the same things with them anyways. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's not super. We like to make it super fancy because we like to feel, you know, a lot more complicated than we are. Mm-hmm. I have I have two more, but if yeah, yeah. well, I just want to say because I think people are going to like this a lot and want to dig into it. It's zero to dangerous. I just want to reiterate zero to dangerous dot com yep. will get you there. FlowResearchCollective.com dot com will get you there. Um, zero to dangerous. We do it one of two ways. It's uh, it's either two day live training with me and the rest of the team, followed by. A, a digital class or it's the digital class and you go through the class uh every all my coaches are either licensed psychologists like they're phd psychologists or neuroscientists so you go through the class with a phd psychologist or neuroscientist um and it's one of those two things cool i just want i think people are gonna be hyped on yeah, that yeah, so yeah. Go ahead. so uh i know that you've you can invest in a lot of ways you can invest your time your energy and we, we've seen where you've invested your time and energy i'm curious if any of these particular technologies have stood out to you as a place to invest your wealth your money uh whether it's particularly you know ar vr uh any of these um i have some money in a handful of companies but not a lot i'd rather like at the Flow Research Collective, mm-hmm. we are working at the intersection of AI and VR mm-hmm. um, and networks. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm investing my company in, Got in some of these things. Um, m- more than anything else, um, because uh, uh, when you like to live in the middle of nowhere and very far away and have a bunch of land, like mm-hmm. most of my money went into my land and my Real house. Estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you still, you're still being on the 3D world. It's not going to be all... Well, I, like, so, I mean, the, the one lesson over and over and over again, this is what I learned. I mean, multiple streams of income, yep. right? Like multiple streams of income is the secret, especially in an accelerating society, um, especially if you're doing anything freelance mm-hmm. or entrepreneurial, multiple streams of income. So that's what I did over, you know, after the last... And, and 2007 recession what I made less money in 2007 than I made the first year I was a journalist when I was 23. I mean, <laughs> wow. It was terrifying. Wow. Right? It's it was like $9. I've gone bankrupt twice. I've almost both once with when I got I was sick and I bankrupt myself. And this 2007, I was, very, was really close. I was right yeah. on the edge. Um, and uh, so I've, after that, I was like, oh my God, my whole industry has now gone away twice. Yeah. Right? Like, fool me once, right? Fool me. I was like, oh, not, no, multiple streams of income as much as possible. That's something that we don't um, do. Yeah. <laughs> we should do that. Well, okay. What I'm trying to do is give, I mean, small tangent i want to give my money to smart other business owners get a small percentage of their business yeah. and then have them be my multiple streams of Tiny income. little private equity guy yeah yeah that's my goal 
Um, so baby, was, baby equity. Yeah, baby, baby equity. equity. Baby, baby equity with baby Ben. Equity. <laughs> baby equity with Ben. I like that because Angel seems so like so big, and no, baby's no. just you're so like yeah. you're like I'm gonna no, give you five grand. And you're gonna give me a dollar a day. For the rest <laughs> yeah, of your life yeah, exactly. or something like that, right? Do I have five thousand days? I think I do. So, and then the last one you'd mentioned it just briefly, but you you said you work with dogs and you're you're trying to like move. Uh, you have a program around that. I'm just curious what you're up to with. So um, we're, we're morphing. We because uh, we moved recently, so we shifted the rescue a little bit um but uh my wife and i uh we're still committed to this mission we do hospice care and special needs care we tend to work with very very old very very abused very, so if you're like if you were tied to a raider beaten for 10 years have cancer mm-hmm. one eye three legs and are an aggressive personality oh, wow. and the tendency to shit on the carpet <laughs> you're our dude oh, oh no. wow like we we and we did it when we were in new mexico we were living in the second poorest county in america with mm. the highest sense of animal cruelty so we literally Saw intentionally that, yeah. put ourselves on the front line and like when we created it my wife said look i want to do all the stuff that nobody wants to do i want to fill like three or four gaps right and i was just dumb enough not to know what the hell she was actually asking mm-hmm. of me it's like absolutely honey let's do that yeah right i had no idea how much like suffering and heartbreak yeah, yeah. and difficulty i was in for um thank god but um now as i said we're trying to uh uh joy is gonna joy is gonna start finding ways to train a lot of other rescuers because a lot of people they get their hearts broken they yeah they, they lose their lives to this because they'll find themselves you know, suddenly overrun by trying animals. To, trying to save every animal. Every, and, yeah. Right. So I, see nobody, this, I see this yeah, all the time. Yeah, no, so nobody is actually training rescuers in any way. And she doesn't, I, mean, I don't think she actually, I think she wants to give it away like podcast wasn't it. So she's going to focus on that for a little That's while. That's so smart. I just have to, because I, I, I know a lot of these people and they are the least business savvy no, they're terrible. self-care well, people. The like, they the, just have such bleeding hearts that they try to do everything except it's all on the front line with my own hands it's and not, not, not highly so the other leveraged. one yeah. I, so I have um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give this away because this is something that I am gonna do <laughs> mm-hmm. but I spent 10 years thinking about the problem you just yeah and I was like why is because animal rescue in general there's no government funding right if you give mm-hmm. money to the SPCA you are funding a euthanasia program yeah, that's yeah. what you're doing you're just paying to put animals down um, so it's all private donation and give me your money is a terrible formula for anything um, when I'm much more interested in entrepreneurial solutions, right? Yeah. So is there an entrepreneurial solution to try to fund this stuff? So I have, I have, I think I have a idea that's good enough and uh, that'll, that'll create big enough revenue streams off of this. And I want to use it to franchise the Rancho de Chihuahua model. Our, our organization is called Rancho de Chihuahua is, based on evolutionary psychology. We create environments very similar to the environment dogs evolved in, so they feel safer. We have flow at the heart of our healing methodology for a number of reasons, but the neurochemicals that show up in the state, one, they reset the nervous system. For dogs, system. are you saying? Yeah. Like dogs dog flow. flow. Oh, yeah, dogs get into flow. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wrote a whole book about uh, this, Small Body. Furry Prayer. Small okay. Furry Prayer uh, talks about, so really about the relationship between humans and animals, but uh, most mammals can get into flow, especially mm-hmm. uh, social mammals. Um, and there are reasons for that, and we can yeah. talk about it, but we won't. Um, so anyways, we have a healing methodology that will, it works really well. We can take a dog with like late stage cancer, whatever, we're supposed to live a couple of months from the vet, and mm-hmm. we can get four or five years wow. of really, and we take our dogs off leash into the backcountry every mm-hmm. day hiking. So like when I say healthy, vibrant, I mean like they're hiking five the miles a day ever, yeah. in, in the mountain kind of thing. So 
I like our model. I think it works. Um, it's very effective for the animals. Uh, and I want to franchise it. And mm -hmm. so I think I've got a, an entrepreneurial-based way to fund, to pay for it. And so I am, like, there are, you know, a couple of industries and partners and whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm working on is how do, how do you do that? Um, that's, that's awesome. And I, and I also, uh, I'm not deeply involved in it anymore, but I have started a company called Planet Home uh, that was trying to bring environmentalists and technologists together to solve big, grand issues, my issue being biodiversity because animals, again. Mm -hmm. um, so I just try. I was like, we, we always say this at Rancho de Chihuahua. I mean, we, we literally traded 13 years of our lives. Where my wife and I have never uh, been on a honeymoon. Wow. We have been on two vacations together, and both of them were two-day vacations. So in, we've been married for 14 years. We've had two vacations where we've taken them together and no honeymoon because it's all been given to the dogs, and that's fantastic. And we did a lot of good. When we, when we were operating it, we probably helped – it was uh, we rehomed and found and, and like five or six hundred dogs. We wow. on our outreach programs, we probably helped another five thousand, six thousand, um, and that's a lot of lives. But like they kill twenty million dogs yeah. a year. So like I didn't even freaking dent December, right? <laughs> yeah. And we like it was thirteen years of our life, and we didn't even just dent December. So like okay, there's, there's got to be, be a bigger lever. Yep. Right. There's got so I I've been looking for bigger levers. That is awesome because I often think when I see these people with they they are so willing to put in hard equity, sweat equity. They'll clean up the poop, but it's like there is not a business mind <laughs> amongst uh, them going. How do we uh, do this? No, at all. And worse, they're massively empathetic. Yep. Which and so they right, can't. It's, it's they're so it, reactive to every. Everything. Oh, there's dog. I gotta like yeah. I gotta pick that one up. Can somebody please? And so they can't no, I mean, step but back. Driving through a city. Well, driving through New Mexico with my wife was terrifying because, like, people treated their animals like shit and there were stray dogs all over the place. Mm -hmm. And, like, we could go out for some ice cream and come back with four dogs, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it was, yeah. like, it was terrifying after a certain point, right? Yeah. Like, I was like, how much of my money am I going to oh, give man. to the dogs? Like, so, this is a great segue for, for, I guess, this is my last one right now. But you've done a lot of things. You've mentioned that they've been difficult at times, that writing has nearly killed you, that there was a tremendous amount of suffering involved yeah. with this animal rescue. I'm curious of the things in your life. What has net really been the most fulfilling or brought you the most joy? What are the handful of things, whether it's the dog rescue, the career, your relationships? And then I'd be also curious on the backside, is there something that you pursued kind of doggedly that just didn't fulfill? Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, there are a lot of answers on that, but, mm -hmm. um, I only, as I said, I do six things, mm -hmm. right? I, try to make the world a better place for animals. Mm -hmm. I try to write books that have an enormous impact and both at it from a craft and art perspective yeah. and from a content perspective. Um, try to hurl myself down mountains at high speeds. Yeah, it's another one. Skiing, right? Skiing on. Skiing down a mountain, <laughs> biking. Sometimes it's surfing and it's a, yeah. it's a little variation, mountains of water. Um, uh, I do that. The friends and family, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like on the... My favorite thing to do in the world is laugh with my best friend. Like, mm -hmm. I, will, I will take laughing with my best friend over. I will take anything else okay. pretty much. Um, so, you know, I, it's really, like, those things are, are amazing. Um, I, uh, as of yet, cannot play a musical instrument mm -hmm. despite a lot of trying. Okay. Like, I can do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I cannot seem to play. I can dance. I can draw. Mm -hmm. I, right? I cannot. And I want, like, my retirement plan for flow um, is uh, 
is a musical instrument, right? Like mm-hmm. if I if I get my body can't get to the point where I can't hurl myself down mountains. Though so I saw this amazing exoskeleton for skiing the other day. <laughs> so and I like out here now. Like it was like it was one of the inventions of the year. Maybe it was a time invention of the year. But I was like, oh good, my ski just got really long. <laughs> nice. Just gonna awesome. be knocking like, down as trees. Long as, can, as long as we can, as long as we can fight back climate change, and I can keep my winters. Yeah. Right. Um, but a uh, transformer going down the mountain. <laughs> I don't care how ugly it looks. I yeah. just care how it makes me feel. Yeah. Um, so there's, uh, yeah, there, there are, um, I, you know, the other thing is, is music, the, unf- the unfulfilling m- m- music, music was one. I mean, there are, there are so many colossal, ridiculous, silly failures okay. along the way. Um, I helped start uh, six or seven or eight or nine different magazines. Um, I think a couple of them are still in existence, but mm-hmm. like there was a lot of that stuff. I was involved in a lot. Was of it stuff. unfulfilling? So I'm this. I'm, I'm yeah, so not necessarily I, I unsuccessful. Don't mind it. Yeah. Oh, unfulfilling. Yeah. If, if like so, I think things that in my life have been unfulfilling. I'll give you a brief example. Like I, I do enjoy the videos that I make. I enjoy the content process. But I thought that having a bit of internet, you know, effless celebrity notoriety would be bring any amount of joy, and it hasn't. Like the the millions of subscribers are only. Uh, fulfilling insofar that I feel that I've helped people but the fact that I am recognized is uh, ultimately it's empty calories I know yeah, yeah it's the completely fame. empty so I'm curious if you've if you've been oh wow like I, I really went for that and it, and it didn't it didn't fill me up in the way that I'd hoped because it sounds so, like the well, dog I will, and the I, I, by the way I will tell you this, I will tell you this is actually I don't think I've ever said this before but I will say this um magazine journalism this thing that i loved more than anything so that still this day is a fiefdom run by new york magazine editors mm-hmm. and um they're not there it's a very closed insular group of people mm-hmm. and a lot of them are not my favorite people in the world at mm-hmm. all uh there was a previous generation of editors i loved but <coughs> and it would that would be very very fr- like that was very very frustrating this mm-hmm. thing that i loved and the people i was working with i just i had a really hard time connecting i would go to new york i'd go into these meetings and i'd feel like i was back in high school like yep. i felt like oh you're in a click and you're just <laughs> judging me mm. like i like i don't ever feel shitty about myself but i'm with like the people i work with and you make me feel terrible yeah right no wonder i work like long so there was some of that stuff where it was around peg in a square hole kind of thing um and i think that's that's applicable to a lot of people which is having to spend your day at work or elsewhere with people that don't make you feel good even if the industry is one you're interested in that'll that'll suck the life right out of you yeah it'll take the life right out of you and and certainly like the worst thing ever is to be unrewarded for your work right like the Mm -hmm. the the number one cause of burnout is i give my heart and soul this thing and you don't recognize it i there are books i've written that Mm -hmm. were horrific experiences horrific experiences really just difficult unpleasant and i mean that's one of the funny things about you know i've written a lot of bestsellers some of them i think are great some of them i don't like i'm like i really feel the same like, way really? about my video reception right? i'm like really that's a bet like bold for example was i was on the bestsellers for 10 weeks 12 weeks 14 i mean like yeah. some it was like both an interesting book and like uh, but it like it's my least one of my least favorite books mm-hmm. and you know it's done remarkably yeah. well and 
okay yeah. right what, like, what was one that you loved and when you wrote it you're like this is going to be amazing and then last no one tango came. last tango was that the fiction for sure um and the reason is this is a, a repeated problem in my life is um I don't I have a really hard time figuring out where the mainstream is I'm just not mm -hmm. that right so Last Hang was another one of those I thought it was going to go wide I thought everybody was going to read it like no it was so stylized I didn't even realize how stylized it was and it's really a little right and it great reception was a sort of was an Amazon bestseller but not it didn't go I thought it was going to go everywhere and yeah. that you know that was a that was a tough one better now i like small furry prayer was the worst of those because i was so poor and it was nominated for a pulitzer everybody thought it was going to explode and i was so sure it was going to change my life and what i mean by that was like financial stability yeah, right? yeah, like yeah. actually finally yes um and it was it was the funniest it was the funniest book in the world because it became a bestseller but it took a year and a half I don't know why, but like mm -hmm. a year and a half later, huh. it suddenly was all over on the Wall Street Journal bestseller and, you know, that sort of thing. And it took a really long time to get there. And everybody, including the publisher and me, that was just, I mean, I had worked so hard and mm -hmm. so long. You know what I mean? So there were those, those ex a lot of those experiences along books the way. Books are tough because you, you really, a lot of the things can be co-created today. And books are one that oftentimes don't get seen by the audience until they're completed <laughs> same thing with movies and that kind of stuff yeah. and man i mean you put in a year or more on, into some of these and the other thing is i've learned though um and you may i'm interested to see if this starts to happen to you with some mm -hmm. of your videos so i always say and i know this now but it took me a long time to figure this out that you can't judge the success of a book for at least six years oh it's true it's videos. really slow right it's like you have no idea mm -hmm. what the, so you you really long before you can actually say mm -hmm. this was a success, this was a failure. Um, but it's nice to overreact week one, isn't it? <laughs> to freak out. It's or, or, well, I, you, <laughs> you know, I, I now go massively far out of my way to get things in between me and my ability to check like the oh. Amazon ranking. I'm yeah. like, how's my book doing? How's my book yep. doing? Or how many yep. hits does my video have? Right, like those cheap dopamine loops. Those are the things, like, so if you come to a Flow, flow uh, Research Collective event, all our gear says never trust the dopamine. Yeah. And by the way, Flow is built out of dopamine. Like, yeah. it, you need this, but it says never trust the dopamine. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because it, you know, it can often be, it's a lot, often empty calories and things that it's not long-term value. We were talking about this earlier. It's funny. People come to us very often because they, they, they want success, right? They peak performance, they want success. Mm -hmm. And they're disappointed uh, because success, quality rises to the top. And success is, if there's a shortcut out there, it's not going to produce lasting success. Mm -hmm. it, you may end up making a bit of money at some point because you game the system, but you didn't learn. Anything. Like, there's no learning along the way and you didn't develop your craft right peak performance and success these things work by compound interest the interesting thing is all the things the, so the question i was asked people is no no i can't material success that sort of thing like you still have to earn that the old-fashioned way but all the things you think you need material success for happiness well-being mm -hmm. overall life satisfaction passion purpose like all that stuff turns out that stuff is low-hanging fruit and mm -hmm. i can teach all that stuff you get with flow, right? And flow over time, your performance will get better for sure massively. But 
It's almost even a with, cherry on top at that even point. With, but even with the massive improvement, success is still a long road. Mm. It just is. It's like it's climbed very slowly. And, you know, you can get famous by accident. You can have Brad Pitt's abs and you can get cast in Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. Right. That can happen. But you can't have Brad's career mm-hmm. without being great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Nobody, you can get famous accidentally. You cannot stay famous accidentally. Nobody has stayed famous accidentally. And I don't care or stayed successful accidentally mm-hmm. in any field. It's too hard and there's too much competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that. No, it's great. I, I like that. I like that to wrap. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. You guys want to get lunch? Let's <laughs> Thank eat. you, everybody. Thanks for Thanks, listening. Guys. Thanks for watching. Hope Peace. this wasn't too boring. <laughs> awesome. No, that's when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.